We've been looking uh, this uh, fall at uh, the Beatitudes, and we're up uh, to Matthew uh, chapter 5, verse 6 this morning. Before I read that text, let me pray, and then uh, we'll jump in. Father, we come to you today rejoicing uh, in the fact uh, that, we, as we've been reminded this morning, you're welcoming God, and you welcome us, because when you see us, you see us. Um, whole, complete, and righteous, because Jesus Christ has done that for us. And so I pray today as we talk about how uh, that righteousness manifests itself and our craving for that manifests itself, I pray that you would bless our time, uh, that you would open us up, that we would be moved by your greatness and your mercy and your love. So be with us today, we pray, in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, Amen. So Matthew chapter 5, verse 6, uh, text is in the bulletin, also up on uh, the screens behind me. This is God's word. We should hear it and respond to it as such this morning. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. So I used to uh, run the Richmond Marathon every year, uh, even back to the days where it was run in October, and the newspaper sponsored it, and it started down at the bottom of the hill over by uh, the tobacco company uh, and wound around. Um, just so you know how terrible it was, it was always in the middle of October where it could be 90 degrees, and uh, mile 20 was the hill up from uh, the Huguenot Bridge up towards the CCV and up towards Carytown that way, which was delightful. Um, so they changed the, uh, the course uh, several uh, years ago, and so they started running it in November. And so generally in November, the second Sunday, Saturday in November, it's a little bit cooler, tends to be that way. And so I was really enjoying running the marathons. And then one year it was, uh, it was, oh, it was really hot. I don't know how hot it was. I want to say it was 90, but it couldn't have been, but it, was, it sure seemed like it. And so... Um, and it had been cooler leading up to that, so no one was acclimated to it. And, uh, you know, the ideal weather for running a marathon is about 40 degrees, 50 degrees. And this was a good 15, 20, maybe 30 above that, and the sun was shining. So being an old man, even then, um, I'm really old now, but back then I was pretty old. And so I'm, I'm like, you know what, whatever goal I had for being fast today is out the window. I'm just going to shuffle along and try to get to the finish line. And so come across Interstate 95 coming back into town, I don't know, about mile 23, 24, something like that. There's a, a um, 15 ambulances parked along the median of the road, which you're like, this is encouraging, you know? It's... Uh, it's just like the sign I used to see when I would run. Somebody, every year, somebody would hold the sign up that says, a day will come when you cannot do this. <laughs> Today is not that day. Uh, you know, let's hope not, Lord willing, right? So, uh, but I look as I got closer, and the median there where all the, the ambulances and the EMTs were, there are all these young guys laying in the, in the median getting IV bags. Because, you know, they were young and healthy, and they ran too fast, and they dehydrated. And us 53-year-olds were just shuffling along past them, grinning at them, 
we would make it, we would get our t-shirt, we would actually earn our t-shirt and our medal, and they were going to have a really bad rest of the weekend. So, because uh, they went too fast, they dehydrated, they did not have enough fluid. You, they could not replace the fluid in their body quick enough by drinking in the heat. We live in America, obviously, uh, and for the vast majority of us, the vast majority of the time, none of us have really known thirst. Not really. Not really. Not, not the kind of thirst where if I don't find something to drink today, I'm going to die. We might be a little thirsty. We might be a little hot. We might be a, find that a little bit difficult. But we're never in a place or in a situation where... Uh, uh, Water is miles, you know, impossible for me to get. It just it's very rare that that happens, that, that happens to us. And the same thing is true for food. Uh, food is, 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 is plentiful. It, it may not be great food, but you can get a Twinkie almost. There's, you can't go almost anywhere in America without finding a Twinkie somewhere, right? I mean, it, food is everywhere. Um, I remember years ago being with my dad, going back and forth <clears throat> from one of his uh, radiation treatments, and we got stopped on the road because there were a bunch of Canada geese walking across the road, and people just won't run over them. We'd be better off if they did, in my opinion, but, uh, <laughs> but they're just walking across the road, and my dad just looked at me and says, how can anybody be hungry in this country? In other words, if you're hungry, kill that goose and eat it, right? So... <laughs> I'd love to see some of you pluck a goose. I think that would be, that would be really that would be good. Anyway, um, so the fact is, when Jesus there in the first century talks about hungering and thirsting, he's talking about something different from what we mean typically when we say hunger and thirst. He's talking about something that without which you will die. The, the, the hunger and the thirst that he is talking about is that your very life depends on this, right? Uh, and, and so for many of us, and for most of us, having a desire like that where, for which our very lives depend on it, we may, we may speak about things that way. We may talk about things like, I, if I'm, I'm going to die if I don't get into this school, or I'm going to die if I don't get this date, or I'm going to die if I don't have this baby, or I'm going to die if I don't, what, whatever. The, the truth is, for most of us, you know, this, this is something that is that's, that's kind of hard for us to, to get our brains around. But what Jesus is doing is he is identifying for us and speaking to us what it is that human beings are built to desire. Now, now we are built to desire. Uh, in fact, we humans, uh, you know, there's a lot of thought in, in the world today that humans really are rational creatures, that they're thinking creatures. Don't you believe it? <laughs> we are not. We are engines of desire. That's, that's what drives human beings. We, we, are, we are living on desire and, and seeking to get our desires fulfilled. Now, now, we confuse what will fulfill those desires with, with sex, with drugs, with alcohol, with pleasure, with success, with 
relationships, all sorts of things like that, all of which in their place and in their time appropriately understood are great blessings from God to us. But they never, ever get to the ultimate desire. And so what Jesus is saying here in this text is he is saying something to us about what it is that we really, really desire. And what we really, really desire, the thing that we crave is God himself and to be in right relationship with God. And so what he says here in this text is he speaks to us about the the very reality that as we hunger and thirst for righteousness, we have the promise of God that when we see that what we are actually hungering and thirsting for is the righteousness that comes to us from God, that when we experience that, we want more and more of that, and we want it more and more of that to spill out of our lives into those people that we love and our families and our neighborhoods and our communities and in our world. Now, here's, here's the thing that we have to understand about this. And Brian, just so you know, I hated the sermon at 9 o'clock. Just hated it. So I'm not using any notes. Forget it. You, you can drink your uh, Mountain Dew and, <laughs> and chill out. So I, I, it's, it's a terrible thing when you preach a sermon and you realize, what a dog. You don't need anybody to tell you it was a dog. And you're like, I, I, I'm, as I'm standing out here, pleasantly talking to people out on the sidewalk, my mind is racing to be like, whoa, you got to do better. Uh, So this is what happens when my mind races and I decide I got to do better. So let's talk about righteousness. When Jesus says, uh, blessed are are, uh, us, those who hunger and thirst for righteousness and they'll be satisfied. What is righteousness anyway? I think we have an idea of what righteousness is, right? But righteousness sounds like being right, being, being, b- behaving in a right way and that kind of stuff. And, and those things are true. But whenever we in the Christian church talk about righteousness, we talk about it primarily in two ways. The first way is this, right? And that is, and this is a great time of year to talk about righteousness because in, in another week we will recognize and celebrate the uh, kind of the launching of the uh, Protestant Reformation by Martin Luther when he nailed those 95 theses upon uh, the Wittenberg church door there in Germany. But the big thing that Martin Luther said, and the big thing that is important for us today, and the thing that, that we have to get right before we get anything else right about God, about ourselves, about our lives, or anything like that, is that we have a righteousness, we have a right standing, we have acceptance before God that is alien to us. In other words, you can't earn your acceptance before God. You cannot. And not only can you not, you must not try. Did you hear that? Because the righteousness that comes to us by faith is something that happens outside of us, really. What Martin Luther rediscovered that's been in the Bible, that's in the gospel, that's at the very heart of the gospel from the very beginning is this fact, that Jesus Christ entered into our world and the fact that God became man and lived a life was not just to give us a pattern for what human life looks like. While, While there's some truth to that, what Jesus does by living a life here in this planet is he becomes for us 
perfect righteousness. He keeps the law. From infancy to his death on the cross to his resurrection, Jesus Christ never disobeyed. He never sinned. And so he created for us the only acceptable righteousness that would put us before a holy God. And that is, when you and I stand before God, you and I come before him. If every one of us today, God forbid, were to, to die, even though you've sinned this morning, you may even be sinning right now, even if you die in that moment, the fact is you can stand before God with the perfect righteousness of Jesus Christ because that's the way it works. <clears throat> you don't earn your way into God's favor. You have the righteousness of Christ imputed to you. So you can't create more righteousness. You can't create something that makes you more acceptable to God. He receives you and accepts you. He forgives you. He welcomes you into, into his kingdom, not because you're cute or you're smart or you're gifted or even because you're right about a lot of things. He does it because in Christ, he gives to you, he imputes to you all that Jesus earned for you. <clears throat> That's righteousness. That is a kind of passive righteousness that we get simply by taking Jesus at his word, believing that he is our righteousness, not that we try to create that ourselves. That's so important to get. If you don't understand that, if you don't believe that, then any other talk about righteousness, any kind of talk about our active righteousness, about how that passive righteousness begins to make itself manifest in the world around us is going to lead you to a terrible place, right? So what, what, what Jesus is saying is every single one of us wants, wants to this, in our, in our hearts, we want God. We're made to desire him. We're made to want him, to be known by him, and to know him. We confuse that. Sin confuses us all the time with, uh, about that. But in fact, by faith, we have the righteousness of Christ, and we have access to God now. He knows us. We know him. We belong to him, right? So that's, that's the first thing we have to get about this righteousness, but there's something else to note about this righteousness as well, and it's this, that why would Jesus say that you're blessed if you hunger and thirst for something that you already have? Right? Do you see the logic of that? Why would you hunger and thirst? Now, certainly, we, we, and, and you might say, well, we want to be more righteous all the time, but you can't get any more righteous in terms of your standing before God. So when he says that blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness because they'll be filled, he must be talking about some, some, that kind of righteousness, but even something more. So what is he talking about? Well, first of all, I think one of the things that you have to see about this is one of the things we have to, that, that's kind of the conundrum and the kind of the thing that's mysterious about this is the very desire rightly focused upon the righteousness of God is a great thing. Even if it's never satisfied, it's a great thing. 
Jesus t- says, uh, tells a parable, and this is a parable that for many, much of my life, I've heard it, and you've heard it if you've been around church at all, uh, that I misinterpreted. And that's the parable that he tells in Matthew 13. Jesus says this, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls. Now, I've always read that as, and he goes on to say, upon finding one of great value, went and sold all that he had, and he bought it. The way I've always thought about that is, is the kingdom of God is the pearl. But you know what? He doesn't say the kingdom of God is the pearl. He says the kingdom of God is like someone who is searching for pearls, and when he sees it, sells everything that he has. So the kingdom of God, in some way, this righteousness that we're, that, that we're seeking, this thing that we're seeing, the actual the fact that we're looking for it, the fact that we're craving that, actually is a manifestation of the kingdom of God. It's actually a manifestation of the righteousness that we have in Jesus Christ and the seeking after of that and the, the, and the, the way that begins to manifest itself in our lives is a picture to us of the kingdom of God. So the very desire for that, the very dissatisfaction with the way the world is, the very dissatisfaction with the way things are in the world is exactly what he's getting at. Now, if we had time this morning, what we would do is I would show you how the, the Beatitudes are structured to point us in that direction. Because what Jesus is getting at here is, once you have the righteousness of, of, of Jesus Christ by faith imputed to you, there is something that will be manifest in the people of God. There will actually be lives that are changed. There will be a desire and a drive to see, uh, uh, see what Jesus uh, has, has brought to bear in the world actually come to bear in time and in space. Because what we look forward to and what we anticipate is, is that there will be a day when the righteousness of God, everything made right, you and I made right, our relationships made right, our society made right, our environment made right, that we lean and we look forward to that happening. Whenever and wherever we work, we pray, we yearn to see that happen in time and in space now, we have the promise of God that we are leaning into, we are moving towards seeing the righteousness of God have its full effect in the world around us. Listen, you know that you are not the way you're supposed to be. That even though you have this passive righteousness, there is a war going on in you all the time, right? For the life of Christ, the righteousness of Christ, the actual work that that he's doing to be manifest in your life. Don't you want to love better? Don't 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 you want to stop lusting after things? Don't you want to stop being greedy? Don't don't you want to be filled with love for your enemies? Well, maybe not that one. But uh, don't don't you want that to happen, right? So that's that's what we're getting at here. And so John Stott says that that the way this righteousness manifests itself in our lives is when we entrust ourselves to Christ, we have his righteousness, we begin to change. Not to gain that righteousness, but to manifest that righteousness that is in us, that is imputed to us, that has been given to us, that's imputed to us 
in the world around us so that we begin to look like Jesus. We do that morally, right? We repent of our sins. We also do that in a way where, where we take what we know to be true, we try to practice that, right? We try to live like the gospel's actually true. There's orthodoxy, that is, what is true. We said that in the creed. Orthopraxy, which is uh, not a dental... Uh, 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 it's, it's what it kind of sounds like to me, orthopraxy, right? Doesn't it, doesn't it sound like somebody working on your teeth? Um, which is, because we have the right theology, because we believe the gospel, we want to see that gospel manifest itself in the way we live and love. And then there's a, a word that I came across this week that you've never heard before called orthocardia. That's not a, not a class at the gym. Orthocardia is the fact that this gospel, this righteousness, begins to change my heart, my motives, my desires, the things that are driving me internally, right? And so what happens with that, that is, that's exactly how this righteousness begins to manifest itself. And then lastly, it manifests itself in the fact that socially, there's that word, socially, the righteousness of Christ would have its impact on the world. That is why when you go to different places in the world, you see people who have the righteousness of Jesus Christ imputed to them dig wells. That is why you see people who have the righteousness of Jesus Christ imputed to them build hospitals, build schools, give money, deliver food. Right? Because, because there's a sense in which we're not doing that to get God's attention. We're not doing that to show off. We're, we're doing that to show off our God. We're doing that to say, this, is, this, this righteousness that we have in Jesus Christ, this kingdom that he is bringing to bear here, this is a witness to that. And in fact, this is where all of history is going. And the longing of every human heart, the longing of all of us, this is what it's moving to so that once and for all, the righteousness of God will overwhelm the power of sin and death that is rampant in our world, in our hearts, in our families, in our communities. It's just, it's everywhere, right? So what Jesus says to us and what he said to those people there in the first century, this longings and these, um, this thirst, this hunger that you have is for God to make you and the world right. And that, my friends... Uh, is the righteousness that we have by trusting Christ being manifest in our lives, that the longing of our hearts, that the desire of our heart is that the kingdom of God would indeed come and that the righteousness of God would have its sway once and for all over the whole world. Do you want that? Do you want that? Do you want death to die? Do you want hatred to cease? Do you want swords beat into plowshares? Do you want the peace of God to be manifest in our world? Do you want to see the mercy of God have its effect? 
Do you want to be changed so that you can love your enemies? So that as Jesus will say in the rest of these Beatitudes, that you actually turn your cheek when someone goes to strike you? Do you want to see and experience the grace and the power of God so that when you are actually really persecuted because of the righteousness of Jesus Christ in you, that you will glory in God's love and his goodness in calling you to such a ministry? If those things begin to resonate with you a little bit, then what you are, what you are leaning into is the promise that Jesus gives to us that that is the longing of our hearts. And when that longing of our hearts is to see that righteousness have its full effect in our world and in our lives, we have the promise of God that a day will come where we'll be satisfied in full. Because you see, that is the ultimate end of the gospel, is not just that things get made right and that things get changed but that God's people are satisfied. That we are made content with the rule of God and the work of God coming fully to bear in our lives and in our world. That is what it means when we hunger and thirst after righteousness. When you mourn at a funeral and you long for the resurrection of the dead, You're hungering for the righteousness of God to be manifest. When you mourn the brokenness and the hatred and the social and racial strife that we experience in our world, and you want to see the peace of the cross come to bear, you are yearning and thirsting for the righteousness of God to be manifest. When you want to see every life unborn, infirm, minority, weak, given full value and dignity. You are thirsting and hungering after the righteousness of God to come fully to bear in your life. And when you are thirsty and hungry just to be so done with your own sin, with your own pettiness, your own gossip and lying and cheating and greediness and all of those things. When you do that, you are hungering and thirsting after the righteousness of God to come fully to bear in your life. And here's the great news, that your destiny and my destiny is to be filled with that. That the destiny of the universe is to be filled with that. And that the work that Jesus Christ did there in the first century of living, dying, and rising again, will spill out and cover the universe with the glory of the kingdom of God, where death and sin and strife and anger and jealousy and bitterness will not even be a memory. That's satisfaction. That's being filled That is being satisfied. That is having hunger and thirst sated once and for all, eternally. So, because that's our destiny, we pray, we strain, we work to see the righteousness of God come fully to bear in the world.
pray with me. Lord, we, we uh, confess that our views of our lives and our views of the kingdom, our views of the world are so small. And so I pray that you would uh, forgive us for that. I pray that you would train us that when we see things that aren't right, that we would be moved to pray and to act, to see uh, Jesus Christ and his righteousness not only believed, not only trusted, but actually enacted in relationships and in communities and uh, in the world around us. Lord, um, we uh, will uh, sing uh, in just a little bit that we want to call our armies home. And Lord, I confess that uh, that means a lot to me. And I pray that you would bring your kingdom to bear in this broken world, that you would bring peace, that you would bring your glory and your righteousness. Lord, we are hungry and we are thirsty. Would you fill us? We ask this in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen.